0: The American League and National League Championship Series now begin. Five weeks into the NFL season, you are listening to Downtown Sports. I am the Beast of the East, Jonathan Pariente, along with my co-host, the Mouth of the South, John Schiavone. We are Downtown Sports, and this is where sports come home. We have a wild, wild show today, and it begins with this opening interview segment today and i am pleased to welcome a very special guest on just a couple days now from the yankees uh very early exit from the american league division series too early well yes for a lot of folks it was including me we are pleased to welcome a very special guest here with us insider for the new york yankees with mlb.com you have seen him and he can make appearances on the MLB network. We are pleased to welcome Ryan Hoke to Downtown Sports. Ryan, thank you so much for taking some time to join us. How are you doing today?
1: Absolutely. How are you guys doing? Um yeah, just kind of readjusting now to off-season life. It uh, it always ends very abruptly, especially uh, with a series like that where it's like you're thinking, "All right, tomorrow they could be Playing in the ALCS or they just go home. And so uh we know how it all ended. So it's it's weird, it's jarring, it's abrupt, but uh, you know, back to off season life, I guess.
0: So let's begin with the uh with the Yankees and a very, very abrupt exit was exactly the correct word. The Yankees were eliminated in five games by the Tampa Bay Rays from the ALDS. and the Yankees had a very up and down season this year. They played sixty games, they went on stretches where they were pitching well, then they didn't, then their hitting was, was absent. They then won the wild card series against the Indians, and maybe the feeling was the Yankees were starting to turn things around, but then came game two where everything turned. Talk to me about where this series for the Yankees really began to turn and unfortunately made their season come to an end.
1: Well, I think you nailed it in that game two is where the momentum shifts and the Yankees decision to use Davey Garcia as a surprise opener that didn't really surprise the Rays and uh, to accelerate to get Jay Happ on the mound. And that didn't work either. Um, You know, you mentioned that wildcard series against the Rays. that was, that was the Yankee team that we thought was going to win the world series. That was a team that came out of the gate and went 16 and six. And, they were so streaky and up and down and hot and cold. And I figured that either this team was going to get hot and run the table in October, or they were going to just kind of ice out at some point. And after the first three games, especially when you go and beat Blake Snell in game one, uh, you're riding high. You're thinking, all right, this team has caught a hot streak. And I do think, I mean, it's easy to say this now in hindsight, but I didn't understand the move at the time either. And, um, you know, I I think that really kind of, uh, you know, cooled them off. It, it shifted the momentum. And um, I think there were a lot of guys in that clubhouse who were kind of shaking their heads and scratching their heads and saying, what, what is going on here? And uh, look, it didn't work. And um, you know, now that they're out, we're all going to look back at that game and say, well, what if, what if, and there's no guarantee that if they had started Masi Tanaka, they would have won that game. But um, you know, I would have well, liked to ours. have seen them go with it. I would have liked to seen them go with a more traditional, starter um especially in a short series where you know you don't want to dip into your bullpen if you don't have to and they voluntarily dipped into their bullpen in game two yeah definitely
2: so i mean I, the one problem i had with that move was you had montgomery you actually started montgomery in game four and gave him more innings that you gave a pitcher that you actually trusted more towards the end of the season why didn't they use uh, Luizica or somebody else for that option? Why not give Garcia more innings?
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't understand that. Uh, and, you know, Boone was kind of waffling on that too because he told us after that game that it wasn't a set game plan and that they were going to only go Garcia short. But then if that's true, then why did you have Jay hap warming up three pitches into Davey Garcia's start? And you've got one of the best – young arms in the game out there. You've seen some brilliant outings out of him. They weren't all great, but he certainly could capture some lightning in a bottle. And um, if you're going to start a 21-year-old kid in a playoff game, I feel like this was the year to do it when you have no fans in the stands. You're in an alternate site. It's weird. Um, I mean, this is the situation where he can really shine. It's not like you're going into you know, a loud Tropicana field where everything is going nuts. Um, you know, you're in an empty Petco Park. So why couldn't he dominate the Rays lineup for, you know, three innings, four innings, whatever it is. And and then you go to the bullpen. It, it made no sense to me. And, you know, they, they showed half warming up. And I was thinking at the time, like, oh, it must be his throw day. He must be getting ready for, you know, there's no way they're going to bring him in for the second inning. And sure enough, that's what they were planning to do.
0: Talking with Brian Hoke, Yankees insider for MLB.com. I want to get your thoughts now, Brian, with Aaron Boone, because this is now three years now he's been the Yankees manager. And very, very weird decision-making, not just with Davey Garcia. You bring in Araldus Chapman in Game 5 in the seventh inning to try to get about seven outs. He gave up the home run to Brasso. You then brought him in in Game 4, even though the Yankees were up 5-1. These are not decisions that I've, I could – say, oh, Aaron Boone, this he had a reason behind this. Now, do you think now with what just happened here with this Yankees series, is Aaron Boone
1: going to be let go? No, absolutely not. No, uh, 100% no. Um, no, that's not going to happen.
2: I am kind of shocked that you're saying no because everybody's literally calling for the guy's head. But the next question is this. How much longer do you think Brian Cashman has at uh, this gig here? Because – Think about it. Without the without Joe Torre, he's won one World Series. He's been to one World Series in 17 years, multiple incidences of terrible losses in division series, in league championship series, heartbreaking loss after heartbreaking loss. When does Cashman finally get it? When does Cashman's head finally start to roll here? Or when does he even finally start to get in the hot seat?
1: Um, I think the answer is when the Steinbrenner family doesn't want him to be the GM anymore and I haven't seen any indication that that's the case I mean it's their team they want Cashman to be the GM and uh, you know I don't want to say it's a GM for life it's not like it being a king or something or a Supreme Court justice but I think that Cashman at this point it will be his call to leave and not the Yankees uh, parting ways with him I I think that he's outlasted everybody in that organization I think he really just uh, he's going to be in that chair as long as he wants to and Cash has acknowledged that he's getting a little long in the tooth for this job, and uh, those are his words exactly. And so, I think he's going to think uh, of a future in which he is not the Yankees' general manager. But I don't think they're going to make that call for him, especially uh, coming off this weird sixty-game coronavirus shortened season. Now, I, I think that almost everybody is going to get a pass. Basically, I, I know it's—I know it hurts. I know the exit. Um, look, it sucks. Losing sucks, and. Um, especially you know, what was interesting about this postseason was I heard from so many people saying, Oh, this doesn't count, fake season, blah blah blah. But then you get into the playoffs and people were fired up, and I I think it felt pretty real. And and that's what I think you're seeing is that how many people are angry about uh going out really a team that was supposed to win the world series or that we talked about winning the world series. So, uh, that was a long way of answering. I it's up to Hal Steinbrenner, and I don't think that Hal wants to make a change. so I, I think they're going to – go to they're going to try again in 2021.
0: So with the Yankees now, in 2021 is going to be a very interesting year now if you're the Yankees. They have a lot of decisions that they have to make in the offseason. The starting pitching was very up and down. You're going to have some pitchers on the market for the free agency period, including Masahiro Tanaka. The Yankees are going to have to make some changes in the lineup uh, Gary Sanchez was basically benched the rest of the ALDS. He was not hitting, hitting a buck 47 for the year. What yeah. are some offseason moves that you see the Yankees have to make come next year?
1: Well, for me, if I'm Brian Cashman, the, the absolute first thing I have to do is keep DJ LeMayhew. I mean, he is just, he's their best player on both sides of the ball. You got a guy who can hit at the top of the lineup, that bat to ball ability. He's consistent. He's a gamer. He fits in that clubhouse, gold glove caliber defense at at second base. You could move him around the infield if you have to. I mean, he is their best player. And, um, you know, I I can't imagine the Yankee team getting better without DJ LeMahieu on it. So, you know, it's going to be a strange offseason league. I think the money's going to be tight coming off a year where there were no fans in the stands at all. But the one thing I would say is that, uh, the Yankees under Steinbrenner have always been very proud of the fact that when money comes off the books, they are quick to put it back into the team. They don't put it in their pockets. And I know they took a lot of financial hits this year, but uh, I think you have to find money for LeMayhew. Uh, I would consider bringing Tanaka back on a short-term deal. He's going to have to take a pay cut to do it, but I would I would consider that. Um, the, the, the situation with Gary is very interesting because – if you go back about six weeks, the cashman was saying he is by far our best option on both sides of the ball. And then you look at the postseason, and he didn't start in five out of the seven games. So that's not your starting catcher. Um, So is Gary Sanchez your starting catcher going forward? Um, You know, I know they've invested so much time and money into him. But at some point, performance matters. And the performance was not there for Gary. Uh, The offense was terrible. The defensive catcher and um, you know, I, I think you have to take a very serious, hard look this offseason and say, is this our guy going forward? And I'm sure that's something they're going to talk about a lot about behind closed doors.
2: Well, speaking of Gary Sanchez, um, what do you see as the biggest thing that's spelled him up? Because he comes up, he has that wonderful year, everybody anoints him as the next uh, Mike Piazza, except he's in a Yankees uniform. Then Girardi goes hmm. and all of a sudden his defense drops. His uh, situational hitting ability drops. He stops driving the ball the other way. What's gotten into Gary Sanchez's head?
1: You see flashes of it still. He had a big pinch hit grand slam. I, I'm thinking of one against the Mets. And then there was one at Fenway Park where he had a big homer that tied the, the game late. So it, it's not like he forgot how to hit overnight. It, it's just the consistency has not been there with Gary. And I, I almost feel like in his case, I don't want to try and pretend that I can get in his mind, but. I just know that coming into the spring training, they did so much with the new catching coach Tanner Swanson with his new one knee down approach and, and focusing so much on pitch framing and, and really just pumping information at them day after day after day and, and do this, do this, do this. And I think that some guys, you just have to let them go out and play. And, and maybe there's a point where you reach an information overload and, it it just gets in a guy's head and and you're thinking about what you're supposed to be doing rather than just kind of reacting and doing it. And uh, look, Gary Sanchez is never going to be a gold glove defensive catcher. I think we know that by now. The reason that he would be a big league player is because he, he's supposed to be one of the best offensive catchers in the American league. And, And we've seen that before, but we certainly did not see it this year. So if Gary's going to hit the way he did this year in this weird short season, And by the way, it's not the first year he struggled offensively. Um, I mean, then his value is severely impacted and he's not the guy that you thought he was going to be.
2: Talking with Brian Hoke from MLB.com. And I want to know what is the mood of the Yankee locker room, especially after this disappointing exit after this, uh, Long season where they really just, uh, for lack of better term, just got taken out to the woodshed by the Tampa Bay Rays. What's their mood and how do they feel about each other? How do they feel about their manager? What What's the team's mood going forward?
1: Well, I wish I could give you a first hand account because, uh, you know, I haven't been in the clubhouse since March because of the coronavirus, but um, it was very similar to what we saw in 2019 after Altuve hit the home run and ended their season. There was a lot of a lot of, uh, some tears, a lot of anger, frustration, um, a feeling that what they showed up to do in spring training uh, was not accomplished, a mission unaccomplished. And, uh, you know, Aaron Boone bristled about the idea of calling it a failure. Uh, but, you know, last year, Judd said that any year they don't win the World Series is a failure. And that's what Derek Jeter used to say before him. And so I think that's where the bar is set. That's, that's what George Steinbrenner created all those years ago. And um so I think you do have to look at this season as they didn't get it done like this was going to be a hard year whatever team wins the World Series this year really really will have earned it and um so I don't agree with the whole idea but you know it's a 60 game season so it doesn't really count this this counts um because I think uh this was a more challenging uh World Series to win in a lot of ways because of all the extra stuff going on than uh anything we've we've seen before so um, yeah, I think that there's disappointment. There's probably some uh, relief in some respects that you know these guys can finally go home and see their families. <laughs> some of these guys have not seen their family in seven or eight months, so yeah. um, it's been a long, hard year, I think. And um, but I, I don't think there's I don't think there was any happiness in that room. I think there's just frustration, and um, it, you know I would guess that it probably feels like they wasted a lot of time because if you're going to go through everything this team went through with the shutdown and then coming back in July and then playing the 60 game season and having games canceled and playing in weird ballparks like Buffalo and having no fans in the stands. Um, yeah, I mean, you're going to go through all that. You want to win it. And they didn't win it.
0: Yeah. Uh, we'll get you out of here, Brian, on this final question. And uh, you know, it's crazy at one point, we weren't even sure if baseball was even going to play a season at all this year and things went nope. so up and down, but now that we are, we we've had a season and the off season for the Yanks has already begun what free agents that are out there on the market they're going to be big ones this year trevor bauer jt real muto just to name a couple which of these free agents do you see that will be a yankee that should join the yankees during this offseason
1: should um should i mean look if if i have an the unlimited checkbook and i can do whatever i want then i want to bring in jt real muto and get him behind the plate and then you move gary sanchez and uh, I don't think the Yankees are going to do that, but man, would that be an upgrade? I, I think mm. that it's hard to imagine that two years ago, the Yankees could have had Rio Muto from the Marlins for, for Gary. And um, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's one of those coulda, woulda, shouldas. Um, but you know, if I, if I'm drafting a fantasy team today, I'll take JT Romuto over Gary Sanchez. Sorry, Gary. But um, you know, Trevor Bauer is really interesting. You know, he's actually got some history with Gary Cole. They went to college together and uh, Bauer in New York would be a fascinating personality, and obviously it would make the team better too. Um, so if I have an unlimited checkbook, uh, you know I'll, I'll go after both those guys. But I think that uh, you're probably looking at a situation there where you've got some free agents coming off the books. You got um, you got Tanaka and DJ LeMahieu, who I said you have to resign. And uh, Jay Happ is coming off. I assume Brett Gardner may go. Uh, if he does come back, it'll be at a lesser price and. Um, so they, they should have a little flexibility to, to spend some money. I just don't know if it's going to be the Monopoly money, especially one year after they um, spent $324 million on Garrett Cole. And then again, like I said, had zero fans in the stands. And that means no tickets sold, no, no hot dogs, no popcorn, no beer. Like, I think that's going to that's gonna impact the offseason and how much owners around the league are spending this, uh, this year.
2: Last question, um, back to Gary Sanchez. Do you think he has any value in a trade right now? Do you see the Yankees moving him at all? And which team would maybe even be a willing trade partner? Is anybody thinking that a change of scenery would help him?
1: I'm sure there's probably some people around there. I haven't spoken to anybody who thinks that. But, you know, I was looking up something last, last night. and here's, a, here's a This is kind of nuts. Gary Sanchez is arbitration eligible. So he is going to get a raise over the $5 million that he earned. Uh, this year. He's not going to get a pay cut. He's going to get a raise. So he will cost more to bring back than what you got out of him this year. So, um, you know, I think that that's why I think these are going to be real tough conversations in the Yankees front office when they do sit down. Brian Cashman is going to have them all uh, together. All the guys, and I assume it's going to be virtual this year on Zoom, but uh, they're going to have to really think about like, look, do we believe in this guy still or not? Because we're going to have to give him a raise over $5 million to keep him around. And our manager just put Kyle Higashioka behind the plate in five out of seven playoff games. So, you know, what do we really think of Gary Sanchez right now? So I think the Yankees have to decide that first. Then if the answer is no, we don't like him. Uh, or We don't think he's going to get better than this. Then I think you have to try and move him or, or release him outright.
0: We'll definitely see where the Yankees go. The offseason for the Yankees has begun. The road to getting back will start again next year in 2021. Brian Hoke, MLB.com Insider with the New York Yankees, thank you so much for taking some time to join us here. It's been a great pleasure.
1: You got it, guys, and I hope you get that pay raise too after, uh, <laughs> after your 2020 season yeah i mean
2: let me let me tell you that 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 two cents a week is just not cutting it guys <laughs> well,
1: maybe maybe we still might get another 1200 in stimulus so but don't hold your breath on that
2: I, i'm really not if i held my breath on that i'd be a balloon in the sky right now brian thanks very much for coming on thank you so much you got it guys take care bye that was Hope right. from mlb.com insider with the new york yankees when we come back our insider in the city of Houston. We're going to find out what's going on with Tampa running over the Houston Astros. Patrick Creighton joins us back after this. <laughs> And we're back to downtown sports out of the mouth of the South. John Shavoni, along with my co-host, the Beast of the East, Jonathan Periente. Want to thank Brian Hoke from MLB.com for coming on to our first segment. Beast, where can they hear us? We're available on ten. That's right,
0: ten different platforms. We're on Anchor, Spotify, Radio Public, Breaker, Pocketcasts, Overcast, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Castbox, and bullhorn every tuesday wednesday with rants and live episodes every single week
2: well we just wanted to get on to the next part of our episode we are gonna move into a land of positivity because i think this man actually has a lot to be positive about in the state of texas i mean i'm actually not being hypocritical here Billy O'Brien is gone from the Houston Texans. The Houston Texans won a game. Deshaun Watson looks like he knows how to play quarterback. And uh, our guest, Patrick Creighton from Late Hits, 97.5 FM in Houston, looks like a happy guy watching Texans football every once in a while now. Pat, how's it going down there without uh, Billy O'B***** screwing everything up?
3: Well, think thing about it, we are now what? Eight days since Texans Liberation Day. TLD. There we go. No longer are the Houston Texans trapped under the miserable leadership of Lord Teapot. <laughs> we have been freed. No more dictatorship. No more cruel leadership. No, it's all gone. It's a, it's a memory. It's a myth. Now you got Romeo Cornell in charge of
2: your team the oldest head coach in the league and uh while he was a defensive mind he made uh, himself look like an offensive guru with the way Deshaun watson played
3: well I, I think we should be fair about a couple of things uh in five days romeo didn't come in and change the offense uh, what he did was he allowed tim kelly to actually call his own offense as opposed to the idea that he was going to call his offense, but really he was going to call whatever Bill O'Brien told him to call. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's get that out of the way real quick, because it, before the season even started, we said how, you know, Tim Kelly is basically just George Godsey 2.0. He's there to be the sacrificial lamb when things go sideways. And O'Brien's got to blame somebody else so that he can stay insulated from the problem. And the comments from Tim Kelly last week about uh, how things were going to be different uh, with Bill O'Brien not there to basically, you know, stand over him and tell him what he can and can't do, certainly gave the impression that he knew he was going to get to call his own offense. Oddly enough, last season, uh, Sam, there was a, a former Texans player who had gone on the air here in Houston, who is still close with a lot of the guys on the team. And he said that a lot of the players liked the creativity and the play calling of Tim Kelly, but that O'Brien would not allow those calls. He wouldn't make those calls on Sundays. So Kelly would put all these different play calls in during practice during the week. And then on Sunday, O'Brien just wouldn't use them. So that was a frustration of offensive players a year ago. And I think it was pretty clear. You you saw, uh, it it certainly looked like Deshaun Watson was allowed to audible at the line. He was a lot more vocal. They used a lot more motion. And things that we didn't see under O'Brien, it looked like Deshaun was allowed to audible. And that wound up allowing them to get some better mismatches and and pick up chunk plays. It's
0: good to see it.
3: Getting rid of Bill O'Brien... Uh, as you saw the J.J. Watt tweet where he had the, the roof of NRG open and the sun shining through like the heavens, <laughs> had, had now uh, granted favor upon all of those people here in Houston. Uh, getting rid of Bill O'Brien solved a lot of problems. Uh, uh, he was He was not a good offensive coordinator. He was not a good head coach. And he kept dividing a locker room that got tired of his crap. Well, say crap yeah. for a podcast, right? say crap. definitely say crap.
2: Well, that's, that's what uh, like, that's what that's what Billy O'Brien was crap, and the, I bet you money that crap will be coaching the Jets next season. Well, you know, believe me, I'm waiting
0: for the Jets to just fire Adam Gase already. I don't know how he even still has a job at this point. But let me dive into Christopher uh,
3: Johnson. Ugh, yeah,
0: the don't even get me started with the
3: Johnsons. Oh my goodness gracious! It's I be mean, the
2: same reason Billy O'Brien is going to be our ne- your next head coach,
3: John. Think about this stupidity from the Jets, right? You allow Mike McCagden, who you're getting ready to fire, to run your draft, to sign free agents, and then you have him hire Adam Gase. And then after he has, uh, hires Adam Gase, Gase is like, Yeah, I don't really don't want Le'Veon Bell. Why did we sign him? And then bam, McCagden's fired. <laughs> So now the Jets are trying to, to trade so Bell. So I'm sure wants to bring in his own guys. Nope. You have to stick with Adam Gase. <laughs> Why do I have to stick with Adam Gase? Because Peyton Manning said Adam Gase is good. Peyton so Manning well, said Adam Gase makes the coach.
2: You Yo, know, he says he he said if Adam Gase makes the best cup of coffee. Now Woody Johnson understood in his warped mind cup of coffee meaning uh Chance at the Super Bowl. He thought Peyton was speaking in code. He really meant that Adam Gaze knows how to make him the best cup of coffee on earth.
3: My goodness, that's
2: really what it was. I think Johnson just misunderstood.
0: Let let me. uh,
3: When when you deliberately choose not to use star players to the best of their ability, or hell, choose not to use them at all, you don't deserve to be a coach. You're an idiot. Crazy Eyes needs to go. Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Well, you know. Johnson's won't make that. I'd discussion. rather have
3: Steve Buscemi as <laughs> crazy eyes coaching the team than Adam Gates.
0: I want Eric Bieniemy if I'm the Jets. But anyway, let's dive into um, – back to the Texans for a moment there, Pat. J.J. Uh, Watt, uh, there was news and it did happen that he got into an altercation at one point with Billy O'Brien. Uh, what's been happening – what happened from that little altercation between those two? What exactly happened there?
3: Um, he shot at the King and he missed, and now he's out of here. Mm -hmm. The one thing you can't do in Houston is piss off J.J. Mm Watt. I've said this for years, and a lot of people didn't really believe me, but I've said this for years. The only guy insulated from O'Brien's BS was J.J. Watt. The guy, is he could run for mayor tomorrow and win in a landslide against anybody. J.J. is the most popular player on the team. He's been the face of the team. He's a future Hall of Famer. And he is basically a football god to the McNair family.
1: Hmm.
3: He is the one guy that you can't mess with. In fact, something I've been paying attention to for years, J.J. Watt has been playing on a non-guaranteed contract for the last two seasons. Wow! Now, anybody who represents J.J. Watt, it's, it's agent malpractice. If you got J.J. Watt going to camp on a non-guaranteed deal, I mean, what idiot would do that? But the McNairs have always promised they would never do wrong by J.J. Watt. So even though he technically has a non-guaranteed contract, the McNairs were always going to pay. And that was understood. And that is why JJ has never gone to management, demanded a new contract, or is going to hold out. He he never goes to the media, starts running his mouth. JJ doesn't have to do that Hmm. because JJ has got the direct line to ownership, and ownership said, "JJ, we're not going to mess with you. You're you're our guy. He's always going to take care of you, no matter what." He's well. Bill O'Brien went at JJ Watt. That was the one guy he couldn't go after. And it was the Pittsburgh week. So you got to believe it probably had something to do with all the media requests for JJ, TJ, and Derek. Cause everybody wanted to do the feature on the three Watt brothers playing on the same field, uh, you know, same game playing against each other. Big deal that you got three brothers on the same game. And I would bet that that probably had something to do with it because, you know, Bill O'Brien uh, probably didn't clear all these media requests or why are you getting all these requests? Because I'm JJ Watt and you're, Oh, I almost said a bad word. Bleephead Bill O'Brien. Yeah. Um I again I know it's a podcast, but I still have that like the radio thing. It's like I can't say bad words. Yeah. I I, then you get into bad habits and then I'll go on the radio tonight in Houston and I'll say bad words and producers will be looking at me like, How many dump buttons do I need? Uh, so you know, I don't,
2: don't no. want to, to him. Trust me, if you heard beast rant about uh Adam Gaze the other week, there there was a dump button and a half. I had to like rewind that twenty times and Spin through some editing cycles to edit, something.
3: edit, edit, edit. Yeah, no,
2: <laughs> these just wanted to kill somebody. I, I, like, I thought Rich Kotite was a was one of the worst head coaches ever. This might be it worse. was. This might be worse. I thought he was but, the but worst. The difference
3: ever. is Rich Kotite, while well, he was a lousy head coach, was a good and respectable man. Yes, Adam Gase is out there running his mouth behind everybody's back, talking all this trash, trying to put blame on anyone and everyone but him because he's a rat. Yep, and nobody needs a non-successful jerk rat as their head coach, Pretty especially much. the crazy eyes. So,
2: since I'm, I'm just reminding Jets fans because when we, because when the Jets fans explode when they eventually get Billy O'Brien to be their next head coach, because that's exactly what I think is going. Why
3: do you wish that on them? And that's just, I don't wish anything. I just know like what, what the Johnsons are to going get- to do. That's like asking Please every Jets fan to get elephantitis or the rectum. I mean, it's not fair.
2: Well, that's what's going to happen. So, but here's what you could tell us. What's going to happen with the GM position in Houston? And now that Kelly's allowed to call his own offense, this AFC South looks weak as hell. Do the Texans still have half a shot
3: here? Uh, the AFC South is weak, but the Titans are 3-0. Now, assuming they can stop getting more COVID cases and actually play football games.
0: They will. They're playing uh, football
3: tonight. They, you're, you're essentially talking about a team that is, what, four games up on the Texans. That's a lot of ground to make up in a season where you don't know if you're really going to play 16 games. I hope to play 16 games. I don't know if they're going to play 16 games. And then the culture three and two. So the Texans really kind of need a lot of help. From the Titans and the Colts to fall apart uh, or go on a losing skid and then for them to get hot. Now, the Texans' schedule is going to get a lot easier. Uh, the Colts and the Titans' schedule is going to be a little tougher. And the Titans are going to have the issue of probably having to play uh, some short week games because they've, they're a little behind right now. Everybody's on, you know, everybody's played five games, they're about to play their fourth. So they're, they're a little behind right now. Um, I, I, I am not. I'm still not a believer. Maybe I should be, but I'm still not a believer that Ryan Tannehill is some top level quarterback. Uh, I think things worked out for him uh, last year in a short sample size, but you know, they won two playoff games where he threw for under a hundred yards. Don't tell me about a great quarterback. He Derrick, is, Henry did
0: all, Derrick Henry was doing all the work. Derrick Henry uh, was running the ball like a
3: madman. The, the Colts, uh, we got classic Phillip rivers, fourth quarter meltdown this week, just like always seems to happen. Big spot fourth quarter. And here's, you know, uh, flip it, Phil flipping it to the other team. <laughs> so I, I don't think the Titans or the Colts are quote to like really good teams, but the Texans are really far behind from their, from their bad start. So, you know, expanded playoffs maybe, but, they're going to have to get hot. They're going to have to win a bunch of games. Uh, they should be happy that uh, with Tim Kelly calling the offense, we actually saw Brandon Cooks running routes that okay. Brandon Cooks should be running. One of his best games of the year. Not, not having him try to run routes that DeAndre Hopkins would run, which is something we've also seen them do at Will Fuller. These guys are speed receivers. You can't have speed receivers running the same routes your big physical receiver would run. They're not that kind of receiver. These guys are not getting 90-10 splits on 50-50 balls uh, in traffic, double teams, whatnot. That's not the kind of receiver they are. They're guys who get separation, and they want to beat their man either, you know, whether it's a crossing route, whether it's a drag route, whether it's a deep route, they're trying to get separation with their speed, and you want to get them the ball while they're moving so they can pick up a ton of yak. DeAndre Hopkins could take the ball from two other guys, elbow one guy in the face, kick the other in the stomach, and then, you know, fall forward for like 10 more yards.
2: Sounds like an episode Hopkins, of – sounds like a game of NFL Blitz.
3: He's, he is – DeAndre Hopkins might be the best receiver in the league. Yeah. He's uncoverable. You could double him. He's still – Going to catch the ball the Jets, You could yes. double him with a triple bracket Right you could have two guys Covering him and then have a bracket safety Over the top and I'm still Taking DeAndre Hopkins to make the catch Over anybody else Because covering DeAndre I Just can tell the Jets.
0: you You had like a guy He was dragging a receiver as he had a touchdown Last week
3: Yeah, but, no, Hopkins you know, is crazy Take, take crazy. both your hands And put them together on top of each other Okay. That's half the size of DeAndre Hopkins' hands. The guy's hands are freaking shopping carts. And literally. he would literally, like, he'd get in front of the jugs machine, and he'd stand, like, 10 feet away from it, One-handing balls. Doesn't drop them. One-handing balls from the jugs machine at, like, 80 miles an hour from 10 feet. He's a bam, bam, bam. Man, uh, remember his, his rookie season, he's doing it. So JJ comes up and JJ's like, man, I can do that. And JJ goes up there, catches one, catches two, third was like, ow, crap. <laughs> he was <just>, wasn't <laughs> real right. So, you know, this was all after practice. Some people didn't see that. But yeah. um DeAndre has the most ridiculous hands in the league. And if if it's within basically a city block of DeAndre, Hawkins he can catch it.
0: Almost like Fitzgerald,
3: like, my goodness. You can't have speed guys who are 5'10 and 180 pounds running those routes. They're not that guy. We finally got to see Brandon Cooks run those routes, you know, dragging across the field, running those uh, intermediate crossing routes, the the routes that allow him to get the ball in motion, in space, and make plays. And, And that's what Brandon Cooks is best at. So we finally saw the Texans using Brandon Cooks to the best of his abilities.
0: Talking with Patrick Creighton, host of Late Hits, 97.5 in Texas. I would like to move on to the other team that's uh, starting to make waves here, the Houston Astros. They're down two games to zero in the American League Championship Series. It's been quite a road for the Astros. They were two games under 500 and made the playoffs. They couldn't win on the road. They blew through the Twins. And now here they are, down two games. They've been held to three runs in two games by the Tampa Bay Rays. Can Houston turn this around, having been down, no Verlander, Granke's been hurt. They're playing with a patchwork kind of rotation here. Can the Houston Texans rally against the Tampa Bay Rays? Well, the Houston Texans can't rally against the Tampa
2: Bay Rays. Yes. They're in a different league. Yes. If Deshaun Watson was playing the Tampa the Bay Rays, I, I think the Astros would have a better chance if Deshaun Watson was in center field. But, you know, it's just me.
0: Can the, can the Houston Astros rally?
3: <laughs> now, can they rally? Sure, they can rally. I mean, they've gotten much better pitching than what you would have expected. They've struck out, what, 26 of 48 outs. Yeah. Uh, more than 50% of Tampa's outs have come via strikeout. Oh yeah, they strike out. Uh, a lot. They strike out. They've a lot. gotten they've gotten depth from both Framber Valdez and from Lance McCullers.
0: Christian Javier uh,
3: Between the two of them, they've only given up three earned runs. And the young kids in the bullpen have held their own so far. Yeah. The issue is the te- uh, the Astros have not been able to put runs on the board and it's not because they're not hitting they're out hitting the rays 19 to 10. they've struck out half as many times as Rays batters they've had 25 hard hit balls hmm. the problem is they're hitting hard they got hard hit balls going right at fielders. everything's an atom ball and whether part of that is bad luck part of that is Tampa having their guys positioned in the right place, combination the way they shift. All right, the the Astros are are barreling balls right at people. Uh, Alex Bregman went 0 for 5 in game two. the The softest hit ball he hit was the last one, just 98 and a half miles an hour off the bat. Wow. He had 99. 103, 103.1, and 106.8. Do you know how hard it is not to get a hit on a ball that comes off your bat at 107 miles an hour? Crazy. And 0 for 5. They, they have not been able to get the clutch hit with guys on base. Uh, they basically left the whole third ward on base in two games. Uh, it's just this is sometimes this is one of the weird things about baseball um, you know, you guys both being from New York, you might I don't know, or you won't remember, but you probably have read about, studied about, watched the 1960 World Series between the Yankees and the Pirates. In this series, the Pirates win 4 games to 3 even though the Yankees outscore them by a billion oh, yeah. runs.
0: Oh yeah, 16-3, 15-nothing, 12-nothing, yeah.
3: They, the, the Yankees won. 15, they won sixteen, three, ten to nothing, 12-3. and twelve to nothing. Yes, and they lost six, four, three, two, five, two, and then in Game Seven, of course, they lose 10-9. Mazeroski hits the walk-off home. Yes, I mean it's the reason why Mazeroski is in the Hall of Fame because he hit that home run. I mean, Bill Mazeroski was not a. was a nondescript, very good defensive player but not no a stick. like this. You're no not. stick at all. He's in the home run because he hit a walk-off home <laughs> in Game 7 of the World Series. And I, I think he's the only person to ever hit a walk-off in Game 7. The, the idea of uh, you can be the better offensive team and not win, we've seen it. Mm-hmm. Right now, the Astros are the better offensive team, but they can't put anything across, mm-hmm. which tells you either, A, they're going to bust out and start scoring, you know, big crooked numbers, or you know, it's 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 not gonna be their series because we've seen the Rays make some absolutely incredible defensive plays. And we've also seen them get abnormally lucky with atom balls, with double play balls. Uh, usually you can't just, oh, we got bases loaded, nobody out. Hold on, let me dial up this DP. (laughs) Like, automatically you just plug it in and boom, there it is. Mm -hmm. The Rays have gotten every break. And part of that is, you know, in, in the first round against Minnesota, the Twins made the critical defensive errors and the Astros capitalized. In the ALDS against the A's, the A's made critical misplays and the Astros took advantage. So far from these first two games of the ALCS, it is the Astros who have made the critical misplays and Jose Altuve making two errors on routine plays. I mean, these weren't, it wasn't like he had to make some crazy dive to his right in the hole behind the bag and then get up and make some crazy. These were routine plays, routine throws, and he just made terrible throws twice. He made two errors after he didn't make an error all year long. So. I don't know why, uh, why Jose Altuve suddenly went Steve Sacks, but it, it happened, and you know, sure enough, next batter takes McCullers out for a three-run homer. Go. Yep. and they never put they they left eleven guys on base.
0: That's not typical of Houston to leave runners on base.
3: That's not not typ- that look. Nobody should be leaving eleven guys on base unless you've scored nine runs. It's not the ask. You're so, wearing
2: a Mets jersey.
3: Let's not talk about that. Oh, wow. uh, but um, this this being, I mean, the Astros have just, they they haven't made the clutch hit. They haven't come through with guys on base. And law of averages, it should turn around. But at the same time, you know, do you look at that and say, okay, well, you know, the Rays have a very deep pitching staff. Uh, mm-hmm. Their clothes looked really shaky yesterday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Morton kind of lived and died with guys on base. Well, what happens when they start pitching really well? and then you can't get those guys on base. So a must game for the Houston Astros. Not only do they have to win, but the offense has to show up. This is the strength of the team. The superstars on this team are Springer and Altuve and Brantley and Bregman and Correa, and they all need to start hitting at the same time like they did in the last series. They need to pull that forward here or they're going home.
2: Get you out here on this last question. We're talking with Patrick Creighton, the host of Late Hits, 97.5 in Houston. The loss of Joe Morgan. Big loss. He was a Cincinnati Red. He was also a Houston Astro. How is the city uh, taking the loss of Joe Morgan? Um, how is Houston responding to it? And uh, what are the Astros saying about it?
3: Well, I mean, the Astros, uh, I believe they inducted him. They had him in for, like, uh, one of those, like, old-timers days. Where they brought him in. They honored him. So the team has honored Joe Morgan, and You know, some of the older broadcasters, the guys who have seen him, uh, they also, you know, have paid their tributes to Joe Morgan. Most fans, I don't think, remember Joe Morgan uh, as a member of the Houston Astros. He went to the Reds in 72. I wasn't even born yet. You know, and I'm old compared to you guys. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, he went to the Reds in '72, and he's known for being part of the Big Red Machine. And you saw some of the tributes, uh, you know, from Pete Rose about what kind of guy Joe Morgan was. How uh, he was a guy who was able to to not only make a better player out of himself, but make others around him better. Now he went back to the Astros in 1980, which was kind of a crazy season. Uh, he also eliminated the Dodgers with a, a home run when he was playing with the Giants. It was '82. So uh, Joe Morgan, you know, look, 10 time all-star legitimate conversation that he's the greatest second baseman of all time, uh, had power, had great speed, uh, terrific defender. Uh, he's in the Astros Hall of Fame, as I said last year, they they inducted him in 2019. Uh, he's in the Reds Hall of Fame. So he's a national Hall of Famer who's in the Hall of Fame of two different franchises. Usually... And that's kind of unusual that you'd be in the Hall of Fame of two different franchises. Uh, not that many guys have that kind of distinction, but it's almost like he had, uh, like he had two careers. One with you know what was then the '45s, you know came came up to the Astros in '63, uh, was with them till '71, and then with Cincinnati from '72 to '79. You know where they won the two World Series. He was a two-time MVP. He's the only second baseman to win back-to-back MVPs in the history of the league, you know, and that includes Rogers Hornsby. So, uh, he just uh, an unbelievable player. I think a lot of people, my generation and forward more remember him as a broadcaster and look great broadcaster. I like listening to Joe Morgan. So it, it has been he's really been
2: tough. one of the voices of, uh, I believe, Xbox. If you played any of the Xbox series of baseball games, he's been the voice of those games. From I have, like I, I believe 2012, 2013.
3: I never owned an Xbox. My son has an Xbox, but I've never had an Xbox. Mm-hmm. So uh, I can tell you I've played zero Xbox games. Yes. Um, I'm sitting here. I've got NBA 2K21, PGA 2K21. <laughs> Uh, MLB, the show 20, distal wrapped.
0: Yep. All right. Patrick Creighton, the radio voice for late hits on 97.5 in Houston. Thank you so much for joining us and good luck to the Astros tonight. It will be Jose Urquidy against Ryan Yarbrough for game three. That will be 740 tonight for the ALCS game three. Pat, thank you so much for joining us and best of luck.
3: My pleasure, guys. Take care.
0: All right. That was Patrick Creighton, radio host of Late Hits, 97.5 in Houston, Texas. We'll be back with our NFL Top 10 right after this. And we're back to downtown sports. want to thank Patrick Creighton for joining us on the last segment from Late Hits, 97.5 FM in Houston. I am the Beast of the East, Jonathan Perriente, along with my co-host, the Mouth of the South, John Schiavone. Before we get into our next piece of business, John, where can our listeners
2: hear us? They can hear us on Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, CastBox, and Bullhorn. That's 10 different platforms every single week with interviews, rants, episodes, because we're downtown sports. And we are where sports come home. I got a little bit of administrative work to do. Uh, This will not be our only episode this week. Keep an eye out for Thursday. Because on Thursday, we got a very special episode coming to you. It's going to feature two interviews with two people outside of the four major sports. One will be a Spartan race and Tough Mudder competitor athlete named Kelly Sullivan. The next will be the author of The Minds Behind the Sports Games, Mr. Patrick Hickey. Those are going to be some great interviews. You're going to want to tune in then. But for right now, we got a top 10 list to get to. Oh, boy. And from what I understand now, I don't look at this list. Supposedly, this is the craziest of them yet. Yes.
0: It's changed uh, quite a lot from our statistician, Chris
2: DeLarge. Uh, Chris,
0: I actually have to give you credit. This is actually one of the better top 10 lists I've seen so far. Okay. I view. Let's begin with the number 10 team. And wouldn't you believe
2: the Cleveland Browns have made number 10 on this list? What? Yeah. It is 2020. The world is ending. The apocalypse has come. Yeah. Odell Beckham is actually playing well. Yeah. The four and one Cleveland Browns who are,
0: believe it or not, Third in the AFC North. Well, again, you have the Ravens and the Steelers there. So the Browns are still that third spoke on that in the wheel there. But the Cleveland Browns, the dog pound, and they're slowly beginning to play like a well-oiled machine. Baker Mayfield, I think, is really now settling into his role as the starting quarterback. Kareem Hunt now is really beginning to show the type of impact he's going to be on that team. And tell you what, if I'm a Chiefs fan, boy, do they miss Kareem Hunt right now.
2: Mm -hmm. Boy, do they miss Kareem Hunt
0: as that mm-hmm. playmaker that he was,
2: everybody was talking about edwards hilaire hilaire is so great hilaire this hilaire that and yes he is he's pretty good but there's a reason kareem hunt was kareem hunt and yeah. you're starting to see that in cleveland now and then you number have, nine uh,
0: then you have yeah jr and landry okay number nine the las vegas raiders well yeah. considering they beat patrick mahomes that's a big
2: win considering that they also beat Drew Brees and the Saints, considering um, the Raiders should be higher on this list, in my opinion. I think nine's a little low for them. But,
0: you you know. You're seeing the
2: talent. You
0: are seeing the talent on this team really begin to blossom.
2: You're seeing Derek Derek Carr finally perform the way he's been expected to. Because he has
0: weapons. Because he's got weapons now. You have Josh Jacobs who can run the ball. You have Darren Waller, a solid tight end. You have the kid Ruggs. A deep threat wide receiver, something that Carr never had.
2: And do you know what you have with the Raiders now that you didn't have before? A killer instinct that you didn't see over the past few seasons. That you, you see now John in Gruden
0: Oakland. Thank John Gruden for that. Yep, having John Gruden does.
2: Well, let's see if they can consistently keep this up. Remember, the Raiders are a team that seemed to be overperforming from their stature from last year. They up but up AFC West.
0: You. That AFC West is tough. So.
2: Let's see if they can keep it up. Number
0: eight, the L.A. Rams are number eight on our list. They're number two in the NFC West. The Rams still playing well. Jared Goff showing his stuff. Cup, Woods, Reynolds, and Cam Akers, the young rookie, are playing exceptional. It's a, it's just a great system leading the way, and they lead they the- look- with twenty sacks.
2: They look like the team that went to the Super Bowl a couple of years back, not like the aberration we saw last year. We were wondering, was the Super Bowl year the aberration or was last year the aberration? We're getting our answer. Might be somewhere a little bit in between with the L.A. Rams. Let's see how it keeps going. But uh, the Seahawks are in that division. The Cardinals are in that division. The 49ers will be getting Garoppolo and Kittle back. Um, they,
0: already, they already did Yeah, They've been back.
2: So, back
0: And the Niners got absolutely murdered by the Dolphins this past week. And Jimmy got benched. They even benched Garoppolo. He threw two bad interceptions and took how many sacks?
2: And the well, Niners Dan Fran, uh, remember, remember a couple of weeks ago when we were saying in the NFC West we were separating the uh, good from the bad? Well, it started to happen with yeah. that. But uh,
0: Number seven.
2: Rams stay good. Number seven.
0: The Titans, 3-0, and and they're going to play tonight against the Buffalo Bills, a rare Tuesday
2: game, but only made possible by the COVID-19. And as Creighton said, Tannehill is not this great quarterback. However, he wasn't as bad of a quarterback as he was under Adam Gaze. So let's just say this. The Dolphins have made the quarter – the Dolphins made the playoffs under Tannehill a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Tannehill is not somebody – Look, is he a world beater? Is he the best quarterback on the field in any game he plays no. about? out? No. He's definitely not the most talented. He's smart, though. He knows where to put the ball. He knows how to run the system he's in. And he understands to hand the ball to Derrick Henry. And the Titans offense, it's pretty much all you need to do.
0: Next team up on our list, the Pittsburgh Steelers come in at number six.
2: Well, you they're had to group are, them uh, together because, you know.
0: They're undefeated. The Steelers <coughs> undefeated. Big Ben playing a rejuvenated style of football. Juju Smith-Schuster, and now we're really beginning to see what Chase Claypool is going to bring to this offense. Three touchdowns in his game this past week with the Eagles, and if Big Ben can start establishing him as a weapon, with you with you already have a
2: weapon in Smith-Schuster, yikes. Well, mm-hmm. People were wondering, does Ben Roethlisberger still have anything? Oh, left he in still the tank? does, and he still go. He still does. Um, I think he's got a lot left in that tank. I think he could really still go, and I think he's the best quarterback in that division right now.
0: Oh yeah, easy. Number five, the Green Bay Packers. They're on a bye week this week, but the Packers remain undefeated. Aaron Rodgers has not thrown a pick yet. In four games,
2: Aaron Rodgers looks like he did in his MVP year. He looks like he looks like the like he did in the year they won the Super Bowl. Like Rodgers is playing like the best quarterback in football right now.
0: Aaron Jones leading the way, and this has been without Devontae Adams, mind you. They've been winning without Adams for about two, three weeks. So this is big if you're the Packers to find other players <clears> that can pick up the team. And Aaron
2: Jones has done that. And Aaron Rodgers with his arm, and the NFC tonight. North seems to be. Wide open and there for the Packers to take at their leisure at this point. Number four, the Baltimore Ravens, 4-1, and one, second in the AFC North. No, they should not be number four. Why? Because the, the Steelers are undefeated. Okay. Um, they're tied with the Browns. And Lamar Jackson ain't as good of a quarterback as either Mayfield or Roethlisberger. Well, maybe that's why they're low. And
0: also you take that loss they had to the Chiefs on a primetime game. I know, would
2: have put them lower on this list. I think the Steelers should be above the Ravens. but you
0: know. I still want to see when the Steelers and Ravens have to clash. The Ravens, by the way, will play the Eagles this week. So I'm curious to see how the Ravens will do against Philly. Uh,
2: anybody in Baltimore who thinks that's a get-fat game, that's a trap game no, for no, you. No, no. Yeah. And
0: I'll give the Eagles. They, they put up a fight with the Steelers. They played with them. It was not an easy win for Pittsburgh, but got to give them the credit where it's due. Number three – the Buffalo Bills. I um, think that's hmm. who they are at three. I'm sorry, but there's a team a little better than that that's number one right now. And Well, that's I maybe, think they should be up
2: a position.
0: Or maybe. Uh, well, considering the Bills are at three, and you can probably guess who number two now is. Yeah. Number two are the Kansas
2: City Chiefs. Well, I wouldn't put them as high on this list. You dropped the Chiefs even lower? I dropped the Chiefs to three. I dropped the Chiefs to three. Well, their
0: defense was a total disappointment. uh, Let me just say this. In all facets of the game, look,
2: the Chiefs should have lost to the Chargers. Should have. They should have lost to the Chargers. They've had a couple of games where they squeaked out wins. The Chiefs have not looked dominant. Mahomes has looked dominant. Not the Chiefs. not Not the team as a whole. They're lacking something they had last year. There's something missing. But um, here's the thing with the Chiefs, why I'd put them at number three and the Bills at number two. The Bills have been consistently better than the Chiefs all year. They really have been. Now, I'm not saying that the Chiefs haven't played tough competition. They definitely have. They really have. I mean, that Raider team is no joke. I think the Raiders are very underrated. I think they're going to be there at the end of the year in in that AFC West along with the Chiefs. That's the team that's challenging the Chiefs for that division title. But... Right now, I'd say the Bills are the better team. I'd say the Bills are the best team in the AFC right now, which is our number two team with Josh Allen at the helm. With Josh Allen, every single week, just it's, be, it's becoming less and less shocking and more and more, all right, this is what Josh Allen is going to do.
0: Yeah. Well, that brings me out of the number one team, and we're already seeing uh, what one quarterback can do, and he's never gotten the respect he deserves even with the consideration of an MVP vote.
2: The I won't say Seahawks. homerism. I'm not going to say homerism for Chris because he's a Seahawks fan, right? Yeah, the so, Seahawks
0: are number one on the list, and I'm not surprised. I've been
2: saying know. that they should have been number one for at least the past three weeks. Well,
0: Chris finally put him at one. Now Chris finally decided to put him at number one. And if you didn't see the Sunday night game, if you weren't listening to that game as I was, it looked like the Seahawks were not winning that game. The Vikings-dominated time of possession. They were down to their last couple drives. Russell Wilson led them down the field. Big touchdown with six seconds to DK Metcalf. Glad I have him on my fantasy team. Glad I have Russell Wilson with me there. Those two have literally maybe saved me from uh, losing this week. I might even pull off a win tonight, possibly. Who knows?
2: Maybe. but
0: but... The the Seahawks with Russell Wilson and the way he's led this offense – 34 game-winning drives Wilson's had in the fourth quarter and in overtime.
2: And now now Seattle finally has a star equivalent to their quarterback on the defensive side of the ball. Not insulting Richard Sherman at all. Not making fun of any of the members of the Legion of boom at all. I think Jamal Adams is a better player than any of those guys ever were. No offense. I think Adams has the ability to be better than those people ever were. And under Pete Carroll, that defense is astounding. Not, they could go behind in games. They could be down by 15, but you can trust that that defense is going to get enough stops for you to make up the gap. That's the thing. Seattle can run their offense no matter how high up they're up or how low they're down in the score. Because that defense, even if it gave up a quick 20 points, isn't going to give up much more than Once that. Once you have Russell Wilson, you're never out of a game. And, and as, as long as you have Jamal Adams, your opponents aren't necessarily scoring touchdowns either. So you're limiting your opponents to field goals or long touchdowns. You're not getting, giving up scores in the red zone. Seattle's not doing that. And then on top of that, Russell Wilson runs the best two-minute drill in football today.
3: Oh, yeah. No doubt. So
2: they're the number one team right now. Every time I see them play, I feel like no matter who they're playing against, they are the better team. Seattle you will have a it, bye. you, see it on the field and the way they play and the way they approach every down. You could have them at three and thirteen, and you're still scared that Wilson's going to pull it off. Seattle will have a bye week coming up for this
0: week, so very interesting to see how the Seahawks will take that week off and then just continue to push forward as they are. And so that wraps up our NFL top ten. A very solid
2: list by our statistician, Chris Delarge. Thank you so much, Chris. And now the two teams that'll never be on that list the Jets and the Giants. Ladies and gentlemen, we have done something effing historic. Really? We've done something historic. Want to know what we've done? 0 10 for the first time in our city's history. Both the Giants and the Jets are 0 5. So I'm just going to let everybody know right now. This will be the last time I address these two teams on this show. Until one of them gets a win. I'm serious. Because seriously, it's as if Adam Gaze is trying to do omega beams out of his eyes at people whenever he looks at them. He can't call a play. He can't use those big eyes to see what the defense is doing. You know, they don't work for that. All they do is... Work for scaring the uh, reporters that have to deal with him. That's that's, that's all his eyes are good for. They apparently can't see coverages, defenses, mistakes on the offensive side of the ball. They apparently can't judge which players are going to commit penalties or not. The Jets are just comically bad. Joe Flacco threw three touchdown passes in a series, and none of them were caught. Well, it doesn't help when you drop. He needs to be gone, but he won't be because the Johnsons aren't gonna fire him. Hell, they'll probably have an excuse. To say, well, now we've got our quarterback that we really wanted. They're gonna put they're gonna have McAnan get blamed for Darnold. Oh, that's McCagnon's fault. Now we're gonna pick the real quarterback. It's gonna be Trevor Lawrence. What happens when Gaze screws him up? That's if Gase will even still be here, you know. But yeah, the Johnsons will not Well, it's either Gaze or Billy O'Brien. Which one do you prefer?
0: Okay, look. I don't know what direction the Johnsons are going. And, you know, knowing them, they will pick the absolute wrong coach. I don't they're know. They're going Billy in
2: the O'Brien direction of the magic, direction. magic pill bottle bowl. That's where they're going. They're swallowing barbiturates and drugs that I can't even think of. I honestly thought. that's the thought, only way you could have hired Adam Gaze.
0: I honestly thought, and I said this like three times already, I honestly thought Rich Tight was one of the
2: worst coaches in the entire NFL. He was the worst in Jets history.
0: Was. You think Adam Gase will be the one worst one at 0-16?
2: Do you know what the effed up part about the Rich Tite years were? What? At least those losses were competitive. Like the Jets would lose by like maybe uh, a touchdown or like four or five points or something like that. It'd be like 27-23. The Jets would have a chance to win at the end of the game and they'd screw it up. That was Rich Tite's legacy. Adam Gase's legacy is of all the losses I've taken it as a Jet head coach. 11 of them have been by double-digit numbers. Yes. 11 of your losses as a Jet head
0: coach. And you know what frustrated me with that Cardinals game? I mean,
2: oh, my God. Besides the fact that the receivers either ran routes and dropped balls or didn't run routes. Oh, here.
0: Let me me, me give you one better. Okay. Kyle Murray gets picked off. The Jets – Start the ball from the Cardinal ten. Okay, you think that's red zone. That should be an automatic touchdown, right? First play of the drive. Delay of game penalty. When does delay of game get called on the first play of a drive? Ever. So guess what the Jets end up getting? They get a field goal out of it. Nope. And remember, oh the 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 punt. Oh yeah, there was another one. Yeah. A uh, fourth. Yeah, twice they punt on fourth and one. That's never happened. In, in the short five-minute span of an NFL game in history. No. Oh,
2: here's even better. Here's even better. One of the punts, Cardinal player muffs it. Jet could have gotten on top of it. Nope. Talk- every time that there is a break in the game, it just it bounces just a little to the left or a little to the right, and the Jets don't get the ball, and every break doesn't go their way. They should rename this team to the New York Almosts. The New York almost. almost. a touchdown. Almost a block punt recovery. Almost starting at the 10 and getting an easy red zone touchdown. Joe Flacco almost threw three touchdown passes if his receivers would have caught them. Yeah. This is comical. And then the Jets' defense is even oh, worse. Horrible. It's horrible. actually worse. I can't believe Gaze is not the worst coach on the staff right now.
0: I can't believe they can't fire everybody in that jet team from upper from upper ownership to management. Can like, the for Joe entire Douglas.
2: ownership team plus general management and coach just like disappear somewhere? I'm not blaming and,
0: everything on Joe. I can't blame this all on Joe Douglas.
2: Uh, Joe Douglas, though, it all has to go. It's all cancerous now. To me, here's the thing: you that Joe, Joe Joe Douglas gets to hire his own coach. Let's say the coach fails after two years. They get rid, after a year. They get rid of Joe Douglas, but they're not going to get rid of whoever the coach is.
0: But was Adam Gase Joe? But Adam Gase was Adam Gase Joe Douglas's decision. No. no.
2: No. No. But with the next coach after, but with the coach after Adam Gase, I, I, I don't know if that. But Gase brought in Joe Douglas. Only that because, was Gase's boy. Only Gaze Gaze, wanted him there.
0: I thought that was because Peyton Manning made the made the suggestion. Adam Gase is great.
2: offensive. Well, that's why the Johnsons hired him. That's why McCagnin hired him. You see, that's the whole thing with the Jets. Here's McCagnin. I hired this guy. A month later, the guy that you hired gets you fired, makes a trade specifically before they hire another general manager. By the way, this is after McCagnin picked again in the draft. You are not going to have him. What? You see? This is why I don't even want to talk about the Jets anymore because we repeat the same points over and over for the first 15 plays. The offense looks sharp after that. They have not a clue what to do
0: because Adam Gase cannot, cannot coach for an entire game. He can only coach for half of a game. That's
2: Adam Gase can't even coach beyond 15 plays. And
0: now he wants to suddenly give up my play calling duties. Uh, I'll give it to uh, I'll give it to one of my guys uh, to, to Logans or something. I'll have him run the offense. I
2: think he is Billy O'Brien or Tom Coughlin like, "Oh, I'm going to give my play calling duties away." <laughs> it's
0: sad. It's sad when even owners like the McNairs who own the Texans, they finally decide we've had enough. We're going to fire Billy O'Brien. And the Johnsons can't see their can't see their ass from a hole in the ground and we're they not We haven't been
2: able to since freaking they hired Rex Ryan and fired Nick Mangini.
0: Eric Mangini. Yeah.
2: Eric Mangini. They have not known what to do since Eric Mangini was let go and Rex Ryan was hired. The letting go of Mangini was the last bit of sense that the Jets ever made ever since then. It's been one bad decision after another, after another, after Rex Ryan, you didn't think you would get worse. You hired Todd Bowles. Then after Todd Bowles, you didn't think you would get any worse. You didn't think you could get a guy who could be even less agreeable with the media than Todd Bowles. Nope. The Johnsons just double down on stupidity. They double down on bad relationships with the media. They double down on bad relationships with their star players. And they get Adam freaking Gase. Why the Johnsons didn't realize that once Adam Gaze was hired, when Jamal Adams took all of his Jets stuff off of his social media, that maybe they should have just asked a couple of questions and thought to themselves, why are my players revolting against this before they even met
0: this guy? Well, while the Jets are going in the complete opposite direction, the Giants are still 0-5, and... Although they're playing with more competitive fire than the Jets
2: are right now. Let's Look, it, its you know what it is? It's finding brand new and inventive ways to hand football games away. Just give them away. Hand uh, them off. Uh, well, you know, uh, M- Michael,
0: Michael Gallup made big catch there to set up the game-winning field goal for, for the Cowboys to win the game. I mean, you know, it was a great catch. You can't do anything about that. Right? Here's what
2: I can say. Why can't Daniel Jones run a two-minute drill?
0: Has he ever been in many games where he had to win close by a close score when it was down to the last possession or two? Has Daniel Jones been in many of those situations yet as a quarterback? This year. Okay.
2: This year. Rams, Bears, 49ers to a certain point this game against the Cowboys.
0: And that was unfortunate with the injury to Dak Prescott for half of that game. Andy Dalton was running the offense the rest of
2: the game. And well, Andy Dalton proved why uh, he's still a top quarterback in this league. Yeah, well, that's um, going to
0: be the guy in charge for the rest of the year. That broken ankle for, for Dak Prescott, compound mm-hmm. fracture, by the way, of the ankle. So it's not Ooh, just any old broken ankle.
2: Compound fracture, AKA the bone went through his skin.
0: Exactly. Yeah. From what I had from what Dak
2: I, Prescott's career may be over.
0: Yep. Possible career altering. Who knows?
2: We were talking about and you know, Dak must just – I yeah, feel bad for him. He's
0: never been injured until now. They've never had
2: an injury. I feel bad for him, and let me tell you why. He was holding out on maybe signing an extension with the Cowboys to try to get more money, be the highest-paid quarterback in the league. He was going to have a great year this year and then uh, go get that money. But now, compound fracture to your ankle. We don't know if you're going to be able to really run like you used to, have that kind of mobility.
0: And he has to learn how to become a pocket passer and stop running the football. That's how these, you see now if you're a quarterback and I'm hoping quarterbacks that run a lot, pay close attention. Daniel, something like this could easily alter your career. If you try to run the ball too much. And Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones. Yep. Josh Allen was running the ball a lot. Now he throws the ball a little more now than he runs it. Kyler Kyler, Murray is a guy that loves to run, but you see, Learn how to throw the ball more, and you take that running you, away.
2: You, Yeah, you keep yourself out of dangerous situations where you don't get compound fractures and blow hundreds of millions of dollars.
0: Look how long it took Teddy Bridgewater to come back from when his knee, when his, I think, what is his kneecap that got completely shattered?
2: And he's never and he's never going to never gonna make the kind of money that he was going to make before that injury. But he's made it. Neither will nice, Dak Prescott.
0: He's made it. Well, I'll give Bridgewater. He's made a nice comeback with Carolina. He's doing pretty good over there.
2: I said Carolina got a really good quarterback. I mean, I didn't like them letting go of Cam Newton. I thought that was very premature. But Bridgewater gives you a lot of the same things that Cam did, except he's younger. Okay, he had the torn. uh, Here's what he had, yeah. So so Bridgewater had that torn
0: ACL, and then he had dislocation of the knee joint. So he Mm -hmm. had a dislocated knee joint with a torn ACL.
2: Do you know how impossible it is to even stand on that, much less walk, run, or do anything? He he got ahead – He had to get taken to the
0: hospital with an air sack around his leg.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know what those injuries are
0: like. He's very lucky he came back from that injury.
2: I have no idea how he did because – Alex Smith
0: had a a pretty horrific – Don't forget, Alex Smith came back the other night for the Washington football team, and he had a a leg that was snapped in half.
2: Well, hopefully next week the Giants can drain the swamp.
0: Um, (laughs) They play the Washington football team next week, and that could be maybe their first win.
2: No, it's going to be the return of Alex Smith back into being a Pro Bowl quarterback. Alex Smith is going to throw for 300 freaking yards because that's our luck.
0: Well, the Jets are going to face Miami against Brian
2: Fitzpatrick.
0: That's going to be better too, ain't it? That can't just, be yeah. any
2: worse. Oh, he's just going to hit hard. It can't get – it actually can. It can get a lot, lot worse, and we'll talk about it next week. But for now – just to wrap up this edition of downtown sports want to thank patrick creighton so beast where can they hear us you can hear us anchor breaker spotify
0: overcast radio public pocket casts apple podcasts google podcasts Castbox, and bullhorn 10 different websites 10 different platforms Rants episodes every tuesday wednesday we would like to thank our guests today patrick creighton Ryan Hope, we'd like to thank our statistician Crystal Large for today's top ten. We will have a very special episode Thursday. We ask you guys to please listen on in, wait for that episode to come up. We'll have Kelly Sullivan as well as Patrick Hickey Jr. joining us for a special on non-main sport related edition of Downtown Sport. Very special episode. Please tune in to that. But for the rest of our crew, for Shane Sullivan, for Crystal Large, for tony mainville i'm the beast of the east john periente along with my co-host the mouth of the south john shivoni we are downtown sports we are where sports come home Paris, john periente beast of the east saying
1: goodbye
2: yeah